Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word and learn how to serve Him. Today's lesson is another lesson in the exciting series about the Jerusalem Church, one of the most victorious and successful bodies of Christ throughout all history. I am convinced if we do what they did, we can be what they were. We've listened to several keys of their success. Today we want to learn one more about the delegation and division of labor learning from the Jerusalem church that no one can do everything. When I think about our Savior as He came into the world, one of the things that most intrigues me is here was the one person in all of history that could do everything but he didn't. Instead of doing all the work when it came to his kingdom himself, instead he trained up 12 other men who would accomplish a great amount of the work for his church once he was gone. And those men, as they established the church and as the church began to grow, we get to Acts chapter 6 and we find out that they didn't do all of the work. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose, excuse me, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. We come to this point when there's work to be done, and the apostles say, we're not going to do that. We're going to assign other men to do that. What we recognize is that as a congregation grows, there's more and more work that needs to be done. When a congregation is smaller, if you have a congregation of about 25 members, just a couple people could handle everything. But as the church gets bigger and larger and more and more people come to be Christians and have their sins forgiven and are a part of the body of Christ, there's more work that has to be done. And that work has to then be divided up among the folks who are in the congregation. Throughout this year, we've taken a look at the church at Jerusalem and what they did that made them so successful. And you'll remember some of the keys we learned about them that we've already gone through. They continually were devoted to worship. They were of one heart and one soul. They aggressively dealt with problems. They lost no one in the crowd. But one of their other keys was they knew that nobody can do everything. And they didn't try to make anybody do everything. They divided the labor up. And and people were working throughout the congregation doing what they could do and what they ought to do, working together as a team. And that's what we've got to learn how to do if we're going to be able to grow and continue to add people to the body of Christ and adding them to this local congregation. I want us to take a look at what this concept of of recognizing that no one can do everything, of dividing up that labor, of delegating, what that's going to imply about the, how the congregation is going to look and what that's going to imply about our lives as individual members of the congregation. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the kind of work that needs to be done and divided up among us. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? 
Glorious God in heaven, we thank You because You have provided Your church. Because You sent Your Son to die for us that we could enter Your kingdom, having our sins forgiven by His blood. And we are so thankful for that forgiveness, for the grace and the mercy that You've offered. We recognize that we have no right to be a part of Your body, to be a part of Your work. And we are just thankful that You let, that you let us be a part of Your family to be a part of Your work, to glorify and honor and praise Your name and to spread Your gospel in the community so that others could become children of Yours as well. Father, we pray that You be with us today as we study Your Word, as we look at one of the ancient churches. Help us as we examine what Your Scripture says about the church at Jerusalem and how they worked, how they were able to accomplish all that You had given them to do. And we pray that we as a congregation, as individuals, will have our hearts open and will be convicted to work in the same way they did so that You can be glorified and Your will can be accomplished. Again, we thank You that we can be a part of this. And Father, we pray that, as You promised in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, that You will work through us far more exceedingly and abundantly than we can ask or think by the power within us. We pray that we can be Your tools that You can use to glorify Yourself and accomplish Your will. Through Your Son we pray. Amen. As we take a look at this, I want to talk about the implications for the congregation. What does this mean for the church and for its work? The very first thing that we need to recognize is this is going to mean there, there's going to be specialized work. As we look at those within the congregation, folks are going to be given specialized work, something that not everybody else is doing, but only certain people are doing. You take a look there in Acts chapter 6. And this problem came up because some of the widows were being overlooked. They went to the apostles, and the apostles said, we can't do that. We have our own specialized work. We've got to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And that's not to say that nobody else was involved in prayer. Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, we know there were folks praying. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, everybody went away teaching the Word. But this is simply pointing out that the apostles had a specialized task. They had a greater responsibility, a higher accountability regarding prayer and the ministry of the Word, and it was so great that they could not take any of the time away that they were devoting to prayer and ministry of the Word in order to make sure that the widows had food on their tables. Can you just fathom that? I mean, I know we've gone through this passage before, but I just want to impress upon you again. If we had widows that were hungry, and you went to one of the elders and said, what are you going to do about it? And they said, I'm not going to do anything. Find somebody else to take care of it. What would we do? I mean, we'd go ballistic. Yet that's exactly what the apostles did. The apostles said, we've got this job. Let's get some other people assigned to this specialized task. They didn't just let it go by the wayside, but they said, we're, we're not going to do it. And then these men, these seven men, were set apart to perform this specialized task. Here in Acts chapter 6, we actually see a very practical illustration of what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14, "...for the body is not one member, but many." If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? 
But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Everyone has their task. The eye does what it does, the ear does what it does, and what we learn about the local body of Christ is that there are going to be folks who are involved in doing their specialized task. Everybody's not going to be doing everything. And yet, we seem to struggle with that. We seem to struggle with that concept. We'll preach 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but then when it comes to the work that's being done, we just make an announcement and expect everybody to do it. And it just, it just doesn't work like that. Folks are going to be involved in specialized work. That's not to say that there, isn't, there aren't any things that we're not all going to do. Obviously, we all come together to worship. Uh, there are all things that, that we're all going to do, but in the work, we're going to find specialized assigned tasks to folks as they do their work. But that implies something else. In addition to specialized work, that implies the need for specialized training. You go back to Acts chapter 6, and let's just think practically here. Here were seven men who weren't widows and had not ever done this job before. It was going to take some training. They were going to have to learn some things about widows and the needs of widows and what was going to have to be accomplished. They were going to have to learn what resources they had available and how they were going to be able to use those resources. They had to be trained. But we can back up a little bit further. Take a look at the apostles. These men were not just dumped into apostleship. Jesus trained them for three years so that they could perform this specialized work. As we take a look at the congregation, we realize all the work that has to be done. We realize that if we're going to have that work done, we've got to train people to do the work. Ephesians chapter 4 highlights this. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul wrote, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why did he give those to us, Paul? Verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. These official positions, you might call them, of apostles or prophets during the age of miraculous gifts, the pastors and teachers, the evangelists. He said he didn't put those in there to do all the work. He didn't establish those offices in order just to make all the financial decisions. He didn't establish those offices just in order to, to make decisions. He established those things so that those folks in those offices could train and equip everyone else to do the work of Christ. That's what we need to be doing. Regrettably, I think among churches of Christ, we fall far short here. We rarely do any training. Most of, all, most of the time, we just stand up behind this mic and make an announcement and ask for volunteers and try to shame everybody in and guilt them into doing it. Instead of sitting down with them and training them, here's how you do it. Here's how you care for people. Here's how you encourage people. Here's how you teach people. We've got to train and equip folks in order to do the work of Christ. It's going to take specialized training. Thirdly, I think one of the things we need to understand is assignments based on God-given talents and God-given strengths. Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, 
beginning at verse 4, Paul wrote, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul here says that God has granted gifts to us according to his grace. Only one in that list is miraculous. The rest of them still apply. We have gifts in certain areas. And when it comes to the work that we do in the congregation, we need to give consideration to that. When we're, we're taking a look at folks and tapping them on the shoulder to be involved in a, a certain kind of work, we need to make sure that they're gifted to do that. Otherwise, they're just going to be frustrated. We're going to be mad because they're not getting the job done properly. But when we find somebody who has the gift or the ability to accomplish that kind of work, and we help them and train them and equip them, then the machine is well-oiled and it works and the work gets done, and it gets done well. Very interestingly, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we read just moments ago, do you remember what verse 18 said? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. Talking here about a physical body, he put the eyes right where he wanted it so they could do their job, and the ears right where he wanted them so they could do their job, and the head and the feet and the hands right where God wanted them so they could do their job. But he's actually talking about Christ's body. And what this points out is that God has placed you right where he wants you because he has given you abilities and strengths that he needs exercise, he wants exercise right where you are. And we need to capitalize on that. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 16. As it talks about the body growing up, it says, "...from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love, by what every part supplies." But I want you to notice what's implied there, by what every joint supplies. Every joint doesn't do the same thing, does it? In our physical bodies... But every joint is right where it needs to be for our bodies to work. And he's saying that's the way it is for the congregation. And we all need to be working and we need to consider that. And so as we're delegating, as we're dividing up the labor, I mean, let's think about it. Would we take somebody who couldn't sing and put them up here to lead us in singing? Or to teach us the songs or how to sing? Would we take somebody who can't communicate and have them up here preaching the lessons? then why, why do we spend all our time trying to get any man and every man up here behind the, the mic to lead us in prayer? Even the ones that are absolutely petrified and can't stand being before a crowd. Why do we do that? There's other work that they can do. Why do we expect anybody and everybody to do all of these things that we have? Why not find where they can fit and put them there? I think probably what I've heard of as the 20-80 rule is a good rule. We all need to be spending 80% of our time doing the top 20% of our strengths. 
and 20% of our time trying to improve the rest. And when we're doing that, when we're spending the great majority of our time doing what we are gifted in and what we have abilities that God has given us to do, and then taking a lesser part of that time to improve the rest, then the work will be getting done. One more thing this implies about the local congregation is that, and I think we struggle with this, but some jobs are going to be limited to a certain number of people. I want you to look again at Acts chapter 6. I think it's very interesting. The apostles didn't say find all the men who have these qualifications. He said, so they said, select from among you seven men who have these qualifications. I find it hard to believe, considering the fact that in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, that there were 5,000 men already in the congregation, that there were only seven among the 5,000 that met these qualifications. But they only needed seven. They said, in order to be in charge of this task, we need seven men. You set them up, and they will be in charge of the task. There may have been an eighth one who really wanted it, but they only needed seven. And that points out for us that when it comes to some of the work, that some of it's going to be limited to a certain number of people. And we don't need to just keep appointing people to tasks when there's already enough people getting that job done. Certainly, we've got to be training up folks to take their place. But, boy, when that task is being done, we've got the, the thing in place for them to be training up new people. And so, oh, I really want to do something. I really want to do something. I want to go right here. But now they're not doing anything because it's already being taken care of. We need to back off on that and realize that sometimes we only need a certain amount of people to perform any one task. And so we've got to start moving folks around and, and making sure that they are working and doing something that they can do, learning how to serve the Lord in that way. What does this mean for us as individuals, though? The very first thing that this means for you as an individual Christian is that you have to recognize yourself as a working part of this congregation. You can never view yourself as simply somebody who shows up on Sunday. You have to be a working part of the congregation. That is what God intended. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, the Scripture says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You've been given gifts. Now, what can you do and how can you use it to serve the folks around you. That's not necessarily going to mean that you're doing something specifically in the work of the church, but what are you doing among the brethren to help out, to be a servant, to glorify God and to serve His people? You've got to be a working part. What are you adding? Remember what Ephesians chapter 4 said in verse 16, "...by what every joint supplies." You are a working part. 1 Corinthians... Chapter 12, remember what we read there? You can't say, because I'm not a hand, this is verse 15, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, or because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Maybe you can't do what some others can do, but you can do something. And the real point behind that illustration is, well, what if everybody did what Jimmy Hickman does? We have a lot of song leaders, but who would be doing what you can do? You see the point? Maybe you can't get up here and leave singing. Maybe you're not ever going to be able to get up in front of the crowd and do something here. So what? What can you do? What work 
can you accomplish? This is not just about making the congregation work. This is also about your own personal destiny with God. You remember the parable in Matthew 25 about the talents? One was a five-talent man, one was a two-talent man, one a one-talent man. And what do we learn there? The one-talent man spent all his time complaining that he couldn't do what the others could do, and so he didn't do anything. The point is, do what you can do. It may not be what everybody else can do. But if you do what you can do, you'll be strengthened. And God will help you grow. But He'll be glorified. And that's the key. On the flip side of that, you need to recognize that not only are you a working part, but everybody else is a working part as well. But we look around and we see folks and we think, well, that person really doesn't have all that much. We could probably do without them. Oh, brother so-and-so, we, why he, you know, we've asked and asked for years and years to get him just to get up there and wait on the table or lead a prayer, and he just won't ever do it. I, we could probably do without him. Or, oh, sister so-and-so, boy, we've needed teachers and she won't ever teach. I bet we just can't, you know, we could do it without her. No, we need to recognize that everybody, even if they don't do the things that we can do, is a working part of the congregation. And we need to recognize that and honor them for that and thank them and appreciate them for what they add. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there at verse 22, Paul provides something very practical there. He says, On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members... Excuse me. Lost my place. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked. What's he pointing out there? When we take a look at folks and we think they're not adding much, the proper response is not to jump all over them for not adding much. The proper response is to find what we can find that they are adding and appreciate them for them and honor them for it. And you know what they'll do? So they'll grow. We need to catch them doing things right and catch them in places that we can honor them. Not making things up, not lying, not just empty flattery, but finding what they are doing and honoring them for that. Telling them thanks and appreciating them and they'll grow. But would you look around at everybody, they may not be doing all the things that you're doing, but they're necessary. And the folks that aren't here, they're necessary. We need to bring them in so that they can add more strength to the chain and build them up so that the congregation can accomplish its work. Here's a tough one. You must be willing to specialize. If we recognize that there's going to be specialized work, there's going to be specialized training, that some things are going to just take a specific number of people, and if we recognize that no one can do everything, you, there may be about 15 things that you'd really like to get involved in in the work of the Lord. But if you're going to do any of them well, you're going to have to specialize on just a few. You're going to have to pick out the ones that, that you can do the best, that you have because of the gifts God has given you the most responsibility and the most accountability for. And you need to do those. Because it, it really is a lot better to be able to say, this one thing I do than these 45 things I dabble in. We need to get into the work of God and do what we can do and do it well. There in Acts chapter 6, these men... These seven men were given a specific task. And they had to devote their time to it. And that's not to say they didn't ever do anything else. Stephen and Philip were both evangelists in addition to what they did here. But it did point out that 
that there may have been some things that they had really wanted to do that they just couldn't do because they were focused on accomplishing the task that had been given to them. And when we do that, the work will be getting done because everybody will be working and all the work will be accomplished because somebody will be doing it, even if we're not involved in all the things that we would like. Finally, for us, I think this is perhaps the most difficult part of all this. No one will know every detail of every aspect of the work, not even the elders. And I think this is where we struggle with the idea of delegation and division of labor. I want you to think about there in Acts chapter 6. Did the apostles know every minute detail of every aspect of the work in providing for those widows? I don't think they did because had they known that, there would have been no point in assigning somebody else over. If they were constantly the ones, every time, well, you know, we're trying to decide, you know, old sister so-and-so eats a little bit more than some of these other women. Should we give her a little bit more, Peter? I mean, if every single one of those decisions, they were constantly having to go back to the apostles and get them to have a meeting in order to decide, and so that the, the apostles knew exactly what was going on every minute of every day with that work, then the apostles might as well have done it themselves. But they handed the charge of this task over to these seven men. Certainly, if there was some problem that these men couldn't handle, they went back to the apostles because they were under their oversight. And that's the way it'll work today. Those who are in charge of tasks, those who are leading, if they have issues and problems that they can't resolve, they'll, they'll go to the elders. But even the elders won't know everything about all of the work that's going on. The preacher won't know all of it. I know, boy, it just irritates the fire out of some people when they call me and say, well, what are we doing about this? And I have to say, I don't know. Call Dale. That irritates Dale when I do that, I know. I don't know. Call Jimmy or call David or call Mark or whoever's involved in all those things. Because, I mean, we just we can't know everything. And there's no sense trying. But, but we struggle with this. Because what we're really afraid is that there's not some all-knowing, strong member of the congregation that knows everything. Somebody might do something unscriptural. And that certainly is a danger. And so we say to ourselves, wouldn't it be better if we take the elders? We know they want to do right. They're mature men. They know the Scriptures. Let's just let them do it all. Because then we'll know that it's all being done scripturally. Well, that misses a few things. Number one, it misses the scriptural pattern of Acts chapter 6. Number two, it misses the fact that this is all still being done under their oversight, even if they don't know every minute detail. Thirdly, it limits the growth of the congregation because we have six elders. They can only do so much work. I mean, they're great men, but they only have so many resources, so much time. They can't do everything. It forgets that, you know, the elders aren't the only ones that are supposed to be paying attention to what folks are doing around them. You know, a lot of times we see here that somebody's doing something unscriptural in the congregation. What do we do? We run to the elders. Do you know what they're doing with... With VBS, with a fall focus, with, do you know? Well, I know we didn't, but if you know, why don't you go talk to them? Because it's all of our responsibilities. If we see somebody doing something sinful or unscriptural, to talk to them about it. By delegating, by dividing up the labor, we also learn to live by the principle in 1 Corinthians 13 of love which says believing and hoping all things. I think one of the things we struggle with is that sometimes we, we have trouble. We look around at folks and think that perhaps that, well, you know, they're all right. 
but they're not as strong as me. And they might just do something wrong. You know, all these folks around here are folks that are wanting to serve God and go to heaven. We don't know, none of us know everything. We're all working. We're all growing. We might do some things wrong. But we need to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and love them and hope in them and believe in them. And then we'll be able to accomplish the work. One more thing I'd like for us to notice, and that is what kind of work is there to do? Maybe. What work is available? One of the things that really bothers me, and I've said this before, and I will say it numerous times, it really bothers me when I hear folks say, I like being a part of a smaller church because there's more to do. And I'll tell you why that bothers me. Because it betrays one of two things. It either betrays sin or it betrays ignorance. Sin, because there are a whole lot of people that are saying that, because the only work they're interested in doing is what goes on up here where everybody can see them. And in a larger church, they don't get up here as much, and they don't get seen as much, and so they don't like it. I hope, however, for most folks, it's just ignorance. And that is that they don't realize that, you know what, there's actually, when it comes to real work, there's far more in a larger congregation. Look in Acts 6, what was happening? The church grew, and all of a sudden, there was a need for seven more positions of work to be filled. Not to mention all the people they were going to get to help them. Why did that happen? Because they grew. You know, if there had only been 25 members, there had only been one, two widows. One person could have taken care of that, but they had 15,000 members. And so how many hundreds of widows did they have? And so they needed seven men to take care of it. The more members you have, the more folks that need encouragement, the more folks that are struggling, the more folks that need to be taught, the more contacts that you have with people because you just have more folks out there. There's more work as a congregation grows. Now, still probably going to need the same number of preachers every Sunday. It's, you know, going to have one sermon a service. I don't know, maybe we'll start having two, but one. They're probably only going to have the same number of prayers in each service, an opening and closing, one at the Lord's table. So going to have, you know, you have 15,000 members. You're still going to have that same thing up here during the worship service. But behind the scenes where you can do the real work that makes the, church, makes the church grow, there's so much. Let's just real quick look at some of the work that has to be done. There is work for the worship services. That's, folks have to be willing to pray. Folks have to be willing to wait at the table. And somebody actually has to be willing to, to assign all of that. And then also has to have the time to go around and get all the fill-ins when folks don't show up and don't call. Isn't that right, Wesley? Yeah. Okay, somebody's got to be willing to do all that. Somebody's got to be willing to make sure that, well, since we're going to have the Lord's Supper here in our service, that it's got to be prepared. Those things have to be done. Other work. We've got Bible classes. That means we've got to have people that are willing to teach. We've got to have people that are willing to help. We've got to have people that are willing to develop curriculum and decorate the classrooms. We've got to have people that are willing to train the teachers. And if I might, this wasn't planned. Uh, y'all notice I've done these Jerusalem sermons every first Sunday of the month. This just happened to be this one. But it just co so coincides because Mark came up to me Wednesday night and said, man, I'm having trouble finding teachers. Because some of our teachers who have been teaching now for two years solid want a break. And some of the others who are being asked saying, oh, but I want to be in a Bible class myself. It's time to quit being selfish. If you can teach, we need you to teach. You'll get to go back into a Bible class later. But we need folks to get in our Bible classes and teach. See Mark Jones. I'll take my $20 later, Mark. Record keeping. Somebody's got to keep rolls. Somebody's going to keep the numbers, figure out what's going on with the, with the budget and all the, all the money. Keep up with folks who are showing up, folks who aren't. Do we have new members or not? Track that and see the trends that are taking place. All kinds of work there. The building. 
got all kinds of work here on the building. It's got to be painted sometimes. It's got to be cleaned. The lawn has to be cut. All the things that are out there have to be taken care of. I'm not saying none of this work is being done. I'm just saying here's work that has to be done. Can you help with this? Because we, we have folks that are assigned to be in charge of that. Dale deals with the building in here, I believe, and I think Steve Garrett's over what goes on outside the building. See them if you can help with these sorts of things. Let's, you know, I, I think there was a time when a lot of this kind of work was, was being done voluntarily, and now we're getting to that day and age where we're contracting everything. I'm not saying that's bad, but, but maybe those of us who have these abilities, if we start volunteering some of our time, we could take some of that money that we're spending on all these other things and send it over to India, where their gospel can be preached. What about guests? We've got to have folks who are willing to meet the guests and greet the guests and unfold the guests and talk with the guests and call the guests and follow up with the guests and probably study with some of those guests. We have evangelism. We've got to have folks that, that can train folks to go out and study the gospel. We've got to have folks that will teach people. We've got to have folks that will keep up with what's going on and, and, and figure out how we can get that gospel out. Folks who will monitor what's happening in the evangelism that we're doing in foreign countries. All these kind of things have to be done. New converts, they have to be grounded, they have to be taught, they have to be brought into the congregation and enfolded. They have to have folks that are willing to pray with them, to encourage them. You know, we're even going to have to have folks that learn how to deal with, with people who, when they come out of the world, you know, they were alcoholics when they were in the world. We need brethren who are able to take alcoholics and help them quit being alcoholics. Because those are the kind of people we convert. I mean, guess who? We, we convert sinners. And we have to have people that do the work to help sinners quit sinning. What about edifying the weak? Now, those who are strong must bear with the weaknesses of the weak. We're going to have people that are willing to, to pay attention and look around and see who's not here. Folks who are willing to call. Folks who are willing to encourage. Folks who learn how to do the work of rebuke when it's needed. Edifying the weak and building them up. What about benevolence? You've got to have folks that are able to see the needs and perceive what has to be done. You've got to have folks that can do the work of making the confidential decisions. Being able to tell the difference between a need and a want. All of these things. Technology, isn't this thing wonderful? Somebody's got to know how to work it if we're going to use it. Y'all like the lights, the timers, the air conditioner. Somebody's got to know how to work all that stuff. Um, don't touch the air conditioner though without being specially trained by Dale. Okay, you've got to have the training to be able to do it. Communication. Lots of news, especially as the congregation grows. Internet and email, phone calls, all those kind of bulletins, all those things have to be done. And people have to be willing to do that work. I mean, this, this is all kind of work. And I'm not saying we're not doing all this already. We're doing most of it. But, well, you know, there's more work that could be done and folks that could be trained to carry on. Uh, you know, heaven forbid, but if something happened to Georgia, who would keep the communication up on the email? Hmm? So it would be good if somebody went up to Georgia and said, hey, let me help you and, and teach me how you're doing this. Uh, just those kind of things. that we, We've got to have people involved and being trained and being equipped and working. And you know what? Serving. Some folks need their grass cut. Some folks might need help having their houses clean. Some folks need to be visited in the hospital. Some folks, uh, all the needs that people have. And we need to be doing the work of serving. I could go on. We could have several slides of this. There's much, much more. But I think you're getting the point. Did you realize that this much work goes into making sure that a church works, to making sure that God's will is being done? Is there a place for you in this? I mean, you're not going to do all of it. No one can do everything, but there's something you can do. What is it? Find your place in this and do it. All this reminds me of a story that I once heard. 
Anybody, everybody, somebody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody blamed somebody, but still, nobody did it. Consequently, it wound up that nobody told anybody, so everybody blamed somebody, but still, nobody did it. And that is the situation in far too many congregations, that there's all kinds of work. They make announcements up here, and yet in the end, nobody does it. And we cannot allow that to be us. Somebody has to do it. We have to work. We have to grow. And we will. We'll follow the model that we find in the New Testament, and we'll do things their way, and we'll grow. But it's going to begin with you as an individual Christian, stepping up to the plate and doing what you can do in this body. I hope this look at the Jerusalem church and their understanding that no one can do everything has been beneficial to you. Let's remember what we learned about delegating and dividing up the labor. What does it imply about the congregation? One, there's going to be specialized work. Two, there needs to be specialized training. Three, assignments need to be given to those who have gifts from God in order to accomplish those tasks. Four, some tasks only need a certain number of people working on them, and they'll be limited to that number of people. What does it mean about you as an individual Christian? One, it means you need to realize that you are to be a working part of the congregation. Two, it means you need to look at those around you in the congregation and realize they are also a working and beneficial part of the congregation. Three, it means you're going to have to specialize and maybe you won't get to be involved in every single aspect of the work that you might be interested in. And four, we're going to have to come to grips with the fact that no one is going to know every detail about everything that's going on in the work even though it is all under the oversight of the elders. Remember, there's all kinds of work that can be done and needs to be done in the local congregation. Please understand that what happens at the front of the auditorium during the Sunday worship is the smallest part of the work that needs to take place. Find your place in the congregation. What can you supply as a part of the body of Christ? If you have any questions about Christ Church, his body, about how to become a part of it, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please contact us at 615-794-2359, or you can contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If someone gave you this lesson, allow me to invite you to come to our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons that you're free to download, both audio and outline formats. Use them in whatever way you believe will glorify God and serve His people. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.